are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. A reading from Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Our second reading is from Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Well, thanks, Donna, for reading scripture for us this morning. Great passages that we are sharing in out of Habakkuk and the Psalms. And as we turn this morning to Habakkuk, you're maybe turning to a book of the Bible that you've never heard of. Maybe a lot of us have never heard of. It's this little book that's tucked away in the Old Testament with a strange name. I thought my name was strange, and then I met Habakkuk, and I felt okay about it. He's one of the minor prophets. There are 12 minor prophets that come at the end of the Old Testament, but the label minor prophet can be a little misleading because it doesn't mean they're less important than the major prophets. It just means they're not as long, a little bit shorter. The old comedian George Burns said once, The secret of a good sermon is to have a good beginning and a good ending, and then to keep the two of them as close together as possible. That's Habakkuk. A good beginning in chapter one, a good ending in chapter three, and just one little chapter that holds them together. But don't let its brevity fool you. Habakkuk really packs a punch. And I'd encourage you to read the whole thing sometime this week. It won't take long. And it is so good. I've been eager to share this book of the Bible with you. I've entitled our message today, Though the Fig Tree Does Not Bud. And that's what led me to ask the table question, what are you seeing start to grow in your neck of the woods? You know, at least up here in Minnesota, it's been a while since things have been growing. And so now as we look out our windows and you are in your yard, what are you seeing that's starting to grow? The grass? hopefully slowly greening up, the rhubarb starting to grow. In our yard, I have seen the sedum and the daylilies now starting to come in. And apparently, I learned this week, also the poison ivy. I got into a big patch of poison ivy a few days ago. I tell you what, I didn't know it because it didn't have the leaves on it yet right now. But a couple days later, I mean, I had poison ivy all over my face and my neck, and I was covered in salve and ointment all day long. And I'll tell you what, it would not have been a good thing 
if we had to do this a few days ago. But thankfully, it cleared up. So things are growing out there. And even now, when I look out my window here, I can see from here the buds on the trees. But Habakkuk, he's looking out the window and he doesn't see anything growing. Not a single thing. There's no buds on the trees. There are no fields being turned over and planted. Really, all that he sees is poison ivy. And I want to tell you his story today in week two of our message series called Through the Valley, what the Bible says about suffering. You know, even before the coronavirus showed up and was on our radar here, there were some tough things that even some of us out of our church family were walking through and have been walking through things like cancer and chronic illness, grief, loss. And so already before all this, we've been thinking about spending some time in the themes of suffering and faith in the scriptures. Questions like, how do we navigate life when it takes a wrong turn? How do we make sense of God when we feel like he's not showing up? What do we do when there is a level of sorrow in our life that just feels like it could sink us? And these are some of the biggest questions and challenges that we will wrestle with in our life. And the way in which we wrestle with them and how we understand them is the difference between standing on solid ground and sinking sand. What you thought about God before the pandemic is how you will relate to God in a pandemic. There's no easy answer to suffering, or or it's probably not suffering, but there is a way to make sense of what God has said and to live according to his promises. And so we're spending a few weeks here under this theme, a different character, a different Bible passage each week, a different nuance to this question and this real-life challenge. So last week we were in the book of Job to begin, and now this week it's Habakkuk. And let me tell you what's happening in Habakkuk's neck of the woods. If you're not there yet, turn with me to chapter one of Habakkuk. If you have no idea where Habakkuk is in the Bible, that is okay. We get to know our way around this book by finding new things we never knew were there before, of fumbling around in the pages. And so just use the table of contents, or you can use Google or your Bible app. Habakkuk is near the end of the Old Testament, so it's going to be about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. It's between Nahum and Zephaniah in the Minor Prophets. And yet Habakkuk, nestled in all those prophets, is unlike any other prophet in the Bible because of the way in which he flips the usual script. You see, usually a prophet's job was to speak to the people on behalf of God. And that's why we always run into that phrase, thus says the Lord. In Habakkuk, it is the other way around. And Habakkuk speaks to God on behalf of the people. In chapter 1, Habakkuk comes to God with a complaint. Uh, Actually, two. If you look at the headings, at least in my Bible, it says Habakkuk's complaint. A little later in chapter 1, Habakkuk's second complaint. Is it okay to complain to God? Is it okay? The Bible says it is all over the place. It doesn't always make us right in our complaint, but God absolutely welcomes the emotion of whatever you are walking through. He doesn't need it filtered and cleaned up first. He doesn't need it theologically fact-checked. 
He does not need you to wear a button-up shirt to show up in front of him or to put makeup on. God's priority with you is to have a relationship. He knows you inside and out. The question is really if you are ready to be real with God. Not religion, but to have a real back and forth, walking around kind of relationship with the living God of the universe. That's the picture that scripture paints. And that's Habakkuk. I want you to hear the rawness of what he has to say here to the Lord, this complaint in Habakkuk 1 verse 2. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? It's accusatory, isn't it? He says, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. How long, Lord? That's how that begins. Have you ever asked that before? How long, Lord? You probably said that and you didn't even know you were quoting scripture, but here it is. And Psalm 13 that we read this morning has the exact same refrain. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? The psalmist is saying, God, I feel like you've rejected me. You've hidden your face from me. You've walked away from me. And God is not threatened or offended or angry when you feel that way. David wrote Psalm 13, and he's called a man after God's own heart. And he doesn't sugarcoat the situation or feel like he's got to keep a stiff upper lip. And Habakkuk doesn't either. He cries out his complaints to God. And we recognize here, by the time you get to Habakkuk in the Old Testament, here's where we are in the lay of the land. The days are numbered for Israel. I mean, at this point, it's not like they can get this thing turned around, but it is just a matter of time before the Babylonians, also called the Chaldeans in this book, are going to be used by God to bring judgment on his people. And the whole thing has Habakkuk absolutely devastated for two reasons. And really, these are his two complaints. This is what he's bringing to God. First of all, his own people continue to thumb their noses at God and are bringing this on themselves. And secondly, Habakkuk says, God, for some reason, you're going to use a godless nation, the Babylonians, to bring judgment on your own people. And he's trying to put that together. And it is not going to be pretty when those Babylonians show up. Jerusalem will be destroyed. It is then after this book. This is a prophetic writing, and that happens in 586 BC. People are hauled off to prison. Pain and suffering at this point, as Habakkuk pens this, it is on the horizon, and he sees it coming. In today's terms, we might call this anticipatory grief. And that's the kind of grief we have when the future is painful and still unfolding. Unhealthy anticipatory grief, you might call anxiety. But there's also a healthy way to acknowledge the uncertainty of the future and exactly how you are feeling about it. This week, the rest of the school year was canceled. No kids back in classrooms, no teachers with their students, no spring sports, no graduation ceremonies. And we just have to recognize it's a loss still unfolding. And you might need to take time this week. You might be walking in anticipatory grief right now and and need to make room for that. 
That's what Habakkuk did. I mean, he cries out to God, even when he feels like God's not listening, because he knows that God's character is like a shepherd. The Puritan Richard Sibbs said once, God takes care of the poor and the weak. He carries them in his arms. Listen to this. All Christ's sheep are diseased, and therefore he will have a tender care of them. I love that line. And so in chapter 2 in Habakkuk, you see that he's just going to wait for his shepherd. He is going to wait for an answer. And so at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. The picture here of Habakkuk is him standing on the city wall of Jerusalem. If you can just see this in your mind's eye, like a night watchman scanning the horizon, waiting to hear from God. And I want to encourage you to do this exact same thing in your own life right now. If there are things that are unsettled, if there are things that you can't make sense of that are causing fear and anxiety, then this is the time to stand watch and to wait for the Lord. The word quarantine that has now somehow become part of our ordinary vocabulary was originally used in ports and harbors where goods would arrive on ship. And they would have to wait for 40 days. The word means 40. They'd have to wait for 40 days until they could disembark and bring those items ashore. The time of waiting and isolation is what came to be known as the quarantine. And I want to ask you this morning, It's been a while now that we've been doing this. How are you quarantining? How are you waiting? It's interesting that Francis Scott Key was also on a ship in a harbor when he wrote, or the ramparts we watched. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And then guess what happens? Guess what happens next? God answers. Yes, the shepherd comes. God meets him in his waiting. Habakkuk 2 verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. I don't know if you recognize that last line there, the righteous will live by faith, but it is just this little line with a huge legacy. The Apostle Paul quotes this in Romans 1. He puts it, he understands it at at the heart of the gospel, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We will live by our faith, not by anything that we could do to earn God's favor. And then 1,500 years later, there's a German monk named Martin Luther who finds this verse, and it results in one of the greatest revivals in the history of the church. This little line from Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. And it's interesting as we look at this word and how it gets translated in different Bibles, Hebrew doesn't actually have a word for faith, but it is the word faithful faithful. And and there's a difference, isn't there, between telling somebody to have faith 
And on the other hand, to be faithful. That second one is just more substantive. The righteous will live by his faithfulness. Imunah is the word, and it means trust, firmness, steadfastness, a conviction that results in action. In your suffering, Habakkuk, here is how you are to live, God's saying, by trusting me. Be faithful. And that brings us then to chapter 3 and Habakkuk's response to what God has said to him. And this chapter, uh, chapter 3 of Habakkuk, is actually a prayer. It's a psalm that was to be used in worship services. And so there's these little notes to like the choir master and, and musical things that pop up there. And that reminds us that what we're reading here is not just about Habakkuk, but we are invited in our worship to respond in this same way when we ourselves are in the valley of suffering. So Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 17, and this is where we picked up our reading today. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And as we take in those beautiful lines, we have to remember that Habakkuk was living in an agricultural society. So what he's describing here is the absolute collapse of his society. No figs, no grapes, no olives, no produce, no sheep, no cattle. That means there's no economy and no food supply. And the Babylonian army is at hand. But he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I'm reading this this week, and I'm thinking, how do you get to rejoicing? How do you get there? How can he say that? I read an article by a pastor this week that I think describes what we're seeing out our own windows these days and, and when we watch the news around the world. He said, the world has changed. City streets are barren. Businesses have shut down, and investments are plummeting. Church members have lost their jobs and watched the falling Dow drain their savings. Loss is upon us, not simply the loss of things, but the loss of joys. Listen how he describes that. We can't pop into our favorite coffee shop for a cappuccino and an encouraging conversation with a friend. Our children are denied the thrill of chasing one another around playgrounds. Church fellowship is reduced to gallery view on online chats. Everything is once removed, a click away from flesh and blood, even a hug feels wrong. What kind of time is this? That a grandma cannot hug her own grandchildren. That we cannot even go to see our loved ones who are in a hospital or a nursing home. What kind of time is this? I took Habakkuk's words and tried to translate them from the ancient Near East into our own situation. So instead of fig trees, I thought of something like this. Though schools are closed and a virus sweeps the earth, though the death toll climbs and hospitals are overrun, though the economy suffers and there is no end in sight, though I've lost my job and do not know what to do, Though I'm shut away in my home and kept from the ones I love, though my body is sick and I do not know what will happen, 
yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How do you get to rejoicing? How do you get there? Habakkuk heard the answer he needed to hear in chapter 2. That no matter how bad it was going to get, he would not give up trusting the Lord. He was going to live by faith. One theologian put it this way. Faith is banking all of your hope on the goodness and power of God, even when times look absolutely bleak. And so I wanted to ask you this morning, what are you banking your hope on these days? On things reopening? On a medical breakthrough? On life going back to normal? It won't be enough. It has to be the cross. It has to be Christ. Listen to what Habakkuk says. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God, my Savior. That's how you get to rejoicing. Not because the situation gets fixed. I mean, it's actually going to get worse for Habakkuk. But his rejoicing is not dependent on his circumstances. It is fixed on the cross of Christ who loves him. And so he will live by faith. It was not long ago, a month or two ago, that I sang to a woman on her deathbed as I had my hand upon her shoulder these words, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And there she is. And there you and I will be one day as well. Let's pray. Lord, we will rejoice in you and trust in you even when things look bleak. Lord, you are good. You are faithful and sovereign over every aspect of our lives. And where any of us right now, Lord, are suffering or worried, or overwhelmed, or afraid, we cry out to you together, and we ask for mercy, that you would give us strength, God. By your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to be faithful in this time, in whatever situation may come, with this school year, with this summer. Lord, would you make our feet like the feet of the deer, and lead us to your high places. We pray in the name of our Savior, who has secured all of your promises for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.